do we know what teachers need to know in elementary? I think we do. I think that when the national reading panel came out in was it 2000? 2000. Oh my gosh. <laughs> oh, that A was long time just, ago. That, that shocked me just now thinking that. Yeah, cuz I remember 2000 seeming like, well, well it's the wave of the future and we know oh, wow. all this now. But back then, researchers identified what they came to term the big five, which are the five components of reading fluency. By fluency, I mean being a fluent reader, being um, a proficient reader. I'll say proficient instead. And that each one of those five areas is separate, but they all work together. So a lot of people talk about it's like you're conducting a symphony in your brain. You're using all the parts, but you also have to look at those separately to understand where somebody's needs might be and how you could address that. So those five areas are phonemic awareness, phonics, fluency, vocabulary, and comprehension. And to that list, we added writing because writing is a passion for both of us. And as an ESL English learner practitioner, I would also add that oral language is a big piece of it. And we know that from looking at a lot of research, oral language undergirds all of this. It's harder to measure and it's harder to, you know, pin down how long it takes to grow there. So we're not, that's not part of the big five, but I just want to make sure that we say that that is also hugely important to developing literacy. Why don't we talk briefly about each of these? Well, one thing I wanted to say too is that one of our mentors who is reading expert, a professor, um, runs a literacy center for a state, a southern state. Um, She has told us that these big five are almost seen as not very exciting anymore. Um, Not so many researchers are really focused on them because they're settled science. We know that those are the components. And so that's unfortunate in a way for those of us who are in schools because we're not getting as much, you know, we're not hearing as much about them in a way that's getting us excited and thinking about it because it's been around and people assume that we know what those big five are and what do you always say when I say well that's been around a long time what do you always tell me new teachers may (laughs) never have heard of the big five yeah new teachers it's it's not hot so to speak right um or relevant anymore but like you said we know it it's here, mm-hmm. so we almost can't ignore it anymore. We know what kids need. We see it over and over. Mm-hmm. We see a pattern in our clients, and we, we talk about that mm-hmm. after an assessment. So it's there, and we, we have to address it. It might be old 2000, but it's still it's still relevant, right? even in the 21st century. Right. Um, I wish they would pick up the thread of, Okay, this is, we know this is a component. So why isn't it happening? Like that might be a new nice approach to take because just because we know it doesn't mean that people are doing it or and not even just new teachers. It could be I know I was a teacher who went from a 5th grade to sure. um, being an ESL teacher who was teaching K through 5 in emergent literacy and thinking, "Oh my gosh, I didn't really learn this or it may have been like we talked about somebody talked to me about it but it didn't sink in." Because I was teaching fifth grade, you know, or fourth grade. So it could be that, too, that there's teachers who've been around, but they just, for whatever reason, didn't need to know 
one, I worked with teachers where a majority of their class came ready, like they knew how to read. They were ready for the content. Only a small number struggled, so they went with an interventionist uh-huh. or someone else. So it's that timely pe- They didn't need it yeah, because it didn't affect them instructionally mm-hmm. because they had supports in place. Mm-hmm. But unfortunately... We don't all have supports in place. No, and we also yeah. have had a lot of um, disruption Option. from right. COVID-19. And right. so we are seeing a lot of kids with a lot of things in different grades than may, or in different numbers than we've been used to. So, so. we want to help arm teachers, parents, educators with, with some of our knowledge and what we see. So I'll start with the first one, phonemic okay. awareness. And I'm just going to tell you what it is. It's the ability to hear, identify, move, or change sounds in spoken words. It is a basic skill that students need to to have to develop into readers. They need to be able to blend sounds, segment sounds that goes into be, being able to decode. And oftentimes it's maybe taught with the phonics piece, which Mary will talk about the phonics piece, but phonemic awareness is really all about the sounds only and being able to hear and manipulate those sounds. Um, and that's typically taught in kindergarten and first but it's often either rushed or overlooked. Um, I work with two great kindergarten teachers, and we had to go back and make sure that phonemic awareness was in place. And their results were wonderful because that was the missing, the missing piece for their kids, and they were knowledgeable and aware enough to say, wait a minute, this, they're stuck certain levels, something's missing. Mm-hmm. And, and, and they were being responsive because they knew enough to do that. Yeah, and sometimes you can't tell that it's phonemic awareness because you it's not something that just presents itself really at obviously unless right. you do a lot of writing with students and you could see them as they're trying to write or, you know, it, it's so foundational that sometimes it stays hidden, that it's not there. Do yes. you know what I yes. mean? And I've seen that happening with older kids too because they've missed some schooling or they had online where it was so much harder to do the talking and the giving it, you know, back and forth, the phonemic awareness counts on listening and speaking. And so they didn't get all that. And so, yeah, that, that can be so hard, but I was going to ask you, you said you think that not enough time is sometimes given to it. So why do you think that might be? What's your theory Um, about that? Well, uh, we need to rush into the books. We need to get them reading quickly. Mm -hmm. I'm guilty of that as a coach. I mean, we're under, we're under pressure to, make sure they're in text quickly. But you're right. I feel like the the more that we were right, we wrote a lot more this year. And just middle middle vowel sounds, they can't hear them because we haven't spent enough time. They they can't tell you what the middle sound is that they, they do hear or that it is a middle sound because they haven't segmented enough of those sounds separately to know that's the first sound I hear, that's the middle sound, that's the last sound. And I think some kids have a good good foundation, but being able to stop and say, okay, we've tried all these other strategies. It's not working. They're stuck. Something's wrong. And I think that's what we are trying to say. That's what this whole podcast and we are about is to give teachers and parents enough tools to know that and, and be responsive. We ultimately mm-hmm. want to say all kids be successful readers and writers. And sometimes it is even, I mean, I work with older students too, and we are back to vowel, basic vowel sounds because they have a confusion between short I, short, yeah. short E. Yeah. So, but, but if you don't know this, you don't know what to do. 
Exactly. Yeah. And I, I had an administrator in the past who used to say, go slow to go fast. I think that that's a good philosophy. And the problem is that some kids need more slow before fast. And so it can, the pressure, like you said, can be on the early primary teachers to get moving on those skills, but it almost always takes us back to that same skill later in another grade. So going slow to go fast seems like a good um, philosophy to keep on that. And I just want to say, Mary and I have done work and we've created a module around phonemic awareness. We have some free resources on our website, but we also have a a module that that you can purchase if you want to learn more, dig a little bit deeper, and we provide you with some more strategies. There are demonstrations within that module because sometimes I have to see it as well as, as hear it. Always, yes. So just so you know, that that is in our products store. Long name, but it's worth it. Okay. So the next component of reading is phonics and phonics tends to be the linchpin of all the warring elements. And as we said in our, in our last podcast, um, I'm sticking with my undergrad mentality of, well, isn't there more than one way? Isn't there some, you know, way to strike balance here? And even balanced literacy has become sort of a hotbed of contention. So when I say balance, I mean the balance that a truly knowledgeable instructor has because he or she has enough information and and practice and experience that they can pull from different um, strategies to help a given kid or group of kids. That's what I mean by balance. So Phonics, the goal of it is to help kids learn the alphabetic principle. And what is that? That's the idea that letters represent sounds. So um, for kids to understand that letters represent sounds and that there's an usually organized, mostly logical, mostly predictable relationship between written letters and spoken sounds. And I have to say that because I work with so many kids learning English who say, why? (laughs) That doesn't make sense. And I say, you know what? You are so right. There's a reason going back to another country and a long time ago why it's pronounced that way or spelled that way. So when you think about it, if you can't predictably understand that sounds and spoken language and letters, phonemes spoken are, are the sounds, graphemes are the letters, that phonemes and graphemes go together, if you can't do that fluently, then you're really at a disadvantage when you're trying to read a text and and write. And phonics goes um, through a whole systematic progression, um, starting with very early and going on until middle school and high school. If you think about morphology and roots and prefixes and suffixes and um, things that people used to study for you know, tests that would help you get into college, those things that help you actually read textbooks at a very high level, that's phonics. I mean, that that goes on and that carries on. So it is really, it's a really important skill. It's a critical skill. If literacy is a gatekeeping skill, then phonics is one of the gatekeepers of the gatekeeper. Okay. And so Phonics instruction, um, you're going to find, and I'm right now I'm looking at the Reading Rockets website, which is um, put out by the International Literacy Association, and the recommendation for phonics instruction is that it should be systematic and that it should be explicit. So that's where a lot of the um, argument and 
and fight can come in between different people's philosophies about whether that should be and how much it should be if it is and and all of that but from my own experience systematic means that the letter sound relationship is taught in a way that's organized and logical so you would not everybody agrees on the continuum but they generally do. The research generally does. You and I look at Bear and Gansky. Mm -hmm. We look at that research and we see it just makes sense. Also from our work with kids, it yes. makes sense. And from the times when we weren't systematic with our phonics instruction, and you talk about that very eloquently, that when you're not systematic with it, you can see when kids aren't ready for maybe the book that they're in, or and you don't really know why, but then you realize later, oh, I had skipped a lot of different phonics yeah. elements. So I personally agree that um, the letter-sound relationship should be taught in an organized and logical sequence because I have seen how it benefits kids. The other component of teaching phonics recommended by a lot of researchers is that it should be explicit. And that means that you're very clear with students about how the sounds go with the letters and the patterns that are captured there and how that all works. It's not something that kids, all kids can naturally intuit from reading and writing. And, you know, we've talked about that too. Like I pretty much taught myself how to read. It was easy for me. I didn't really, I, I learned how to spell well because I read a lot because I like to read. I mean, it just sort of fed itself but that's not the typical. That's just, yeah, that was I did just, not teach myself how to No, read. that was just my experience. And there are kids who will do that, and they will give us the perception that reading is just something natural that, well, once you learn how to read, you just keep reading more and more, and all these other things will fall in place. But there's lots of, lots of kids to show us that that's not necessarily the case. Yes. That's, that's a lot of information, but it's barely even touching on <laughs> phonics. Uh, if you want to mention, we do have a phonics module also that we're almost finished with. That's going, going to be in our store soon. Do you want to give yes. a quick? Um, it's, it's just like Mary said, we have some different strategies. All, all the strategies, though, do align with where that reader is on that continuum. Because just like Mary said, it, it affects their decoding. It affects their spelling. Phonics is a huge piece. Mm -hmm. And if it's not secure, it, it can cause reading and writing difficulties for kids. And deficits can show up at different times. Yes. There are times that kids can, you know, I call them workarounds, especially kids that are really smart. We've seen this happen. <laughs> they develop these workarounds that help them to get by without the foundational knowledge that they really need yes. to be able to do that thing, like you said, securely. That's a good way to say it. But then as the text um, demands go up, then they it almost always catches up with them to a point where they're like, I'm not smart anymore. How come I can't read? How come I'm not good at this anymore or whatever? And it's not really that. It's just that you know, I always tell them, you are so smart because you figured out how to, how get, to work around how that. to get right. stuff done anyway. You should have been taught this. You know, you weren't taught this. Now you're going to be. So um, I just wanted to put that in there. Our modules do some of the slides. We do include some of the behaviors you may see if they are trying to avoid yes. using those skills. And that's helpful to kind of help pinpoint, okay, wait, wait a minute, maybe you do need some phonics instruction or maybe I need to give a quick assessment to see where you are. 
um, because they do have their little tells to show you that, hey, I'm struggling here. But you, but if you're not used to it, you might not pick up on it. Right. And if you don't have good solid assessments, which we're not getting into in this um, podcast, because that would be, oh my gosh, how long would that be? But um, if you have good assessments that help you pinpoint the needs specifically, that that systematic, you know, the assessment needs to be systematic so that you can um, really see, well, here's the piece that's missing that we can fix, you know, that we can work on. And there's lots of strengths there as well to build on. So um, assessment definitely is a big key part of that. Okay, what's next on the big five? Fluency. Fluency. Okay, well, fluency is the ability of um, a reader to read the text with accuracy, uh, meaning they're going to read the words correctly. The words sound like what the words should sound like. They could read it quickly, which is often referred to as rate, and they can also read it with expression or in um, literacy world we say prosody. Yeah, it means the same thing, but it means that they will um, chunk phrases. Basically, it means that they can read as they speak. So the reading sounds like someone is talking. Um, so you can see there while oral language definitely comes in. And it's important because a lot of times fluency is referred to as the bridge between the most foundational skills of phonological, phonemic awareness, alphabetic principle, phonics, and then the comprehension piece. Putting all that together and understanding a text, you have to have some fluency to bring those skills into that. And um, the one thing I'll say about fluency is that for a while, some of us have tended to over-focus on the rate and the accuracy because those are easier to measure. It's like oral language is hard to measure, so is prosody and expression. Those can be harder to measure. However, um, I've read that the expression piece is the one that most closely correlates to a kid's comprehension. It makes you, sense. Yeah, if you think about it, it makes total sense. So if we're not looking at all three of those areas, then we're not really thinking about fluency in a whole way. And also, I, I know I told you this, we just, I just recently had um, a new client who is going into fifth grade, missed most of third grade from, well, not missed it, but did it online and wasn't the best experience for that particular student. And very high rate, <laughs> reading rate, ooh, fast. Accuracy, pretty good. Average to, you know, above average. Expression, comprehension, prosody, no, not there. And the parent even said to me after we looked at some assessments, she said, but she sounds so good when she's reading. She said, that's why I've been confused. Um, and I said, yeah, because, you know, she's got that, she's got the code, she's got the rate, but she doesn't have the prosody, the expression and the comprehension piece in place. So um, it's like those kids who just read and you're like, wait a minute, there was a comma. You should have taken a breath. Yeah. <laughs> you didn't breathe. Yes. Or there was a period. You didn't, you, you didn't stop. You just went right into the next. Yeah. And so that definitely affects their comprehension. It, it doesn't make it doesn't make sense. Mm -hmm. It's almost like some kids take a deep breath. <gasps> blah, 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 blah. They right. just want to get it like over with. They are so um, they don't have that security and that confidence, and they just want to get that job finished. They don't see reading as something that is for them. So 
yeah, I, I just can really, my heart goes out to kids like that because I think sometimes they think, well, I'm doing the thing. I'm doing yeah. the thing you wanted me to do. What's wrong now? Well, and that's, that's interesting. We've seen that too, where teachers will come. I don't understand that. I mean, they're, they read it this level Z or whatever, mm -hmm. but they can't answer a simple re recall question. Right. Yeah. <laughs> and yeah, they sound beautiful, but they don't know what they've read. And is that really reading? No. Like no. reading is meaning. <laughs> right. Exactly. Comprehending. So fluency is definitely important and does affect comprehension. Unfortunately, fluency, this is my opinion, so tell me what you think, but I think fluency is one of the easier and more fun components to teach. Because yeah. you can do, um, you know, reader's theater and you can do, you know, poems and choral reading and all the things that I love. So that's just, I like it. I like um, teaching fluency and kids usually like it too. Okay, I'm up again. Vocabulary. Okay, well, vocabulary is huge. That would be a whole nother topic on Each its own. Each one of these could be its own yeah, podcast. they are. They really are. But um, just briefly, I think people overall understand vocabulary as a component of literacy probably more than they do all the other ones because vocabulary everyone who has ever read a text that doesn't that has a lot of words they don't know understands that that impedes their comprehension so um, it does play a fundamental role in the reading process it is critical to reading comprehension and kids learn words in different ways. Sometimes they learn them indirectly. You know, you and I talk a lot about when we meet kids that some of their, even though their literacy might not be real fluent, they might have an amazing vocabulary because of the experiences that they have been afforded by their family and maybe by the school that they're in. Or they will say, oh, wow, they have so much background knowledge. They really have vocabulary. And that does help them to a certain um, extent. Um, and also they can learn it through spoken language and written language, but then other words need to be directly taught because kids come from different environments. They have different level of exposure to academic words that they might need to use in school. And so how to do that, how to teach that vocabulary is another topic for probably another podcast, but just to make sure that it's clear that vocabulary and vocabulary understanding is one of the most important things that kids can learn to be able to comprehend text well. And it affects their comprehension for sure. Right. And that's where I'm going to jump in. Yes. So the last one is of the big five is comprehension. And specifically, I want to talk about comprehension strategies. So I looked up, I was curious, the definition of comprehension and like the Webster Dictionary, and it's the action or capability of understanding something, which makes sense. So I, I like that word, that word, take action. Active, yeah. Because that's really what a reader is doing when they're reading and comprehending. Mm -hmm. And they, they are constructing meaning while at the same time trying to derive meaning from the text. And they're integrating relevant information from their prior knowledge and their experience. So how do they do that? The strategies where they have to take action have to be taught explicitly. And they have to be able to use them in different ways in different types of text. So I'm not going to go through all the strategies, but I'm just going to 
give you a few, like you ask questions when you read, before, during, and after reading. You get a picture in your mind. You, you visualize what those characters look like, the setting that they're in, their moods, their tone. And if you're not, you're, you're missing out on the meaning, which is ultimately the comprehension. Early readers, too, have to be able to infer, read between the lines, so to speak, what's not being explicitly said. But they have to have background to do that, to infer. So these strategies build upon one another, but it's not just something that is taught and I'm just going to, oh, I taught that, check. You have to have conversations and give students, children, opportunities for discussion, being able to apply those strategies in text, plus in writing, showing them different ways to make those strategies visible to them. We've, we've talked about some of the, the visible thinking strategies. This comprehension could be like a three-part series, yeah, really. Like that could go into fiction, nonfiction. <laughs> yeah. Because they do use the strategies in, in different ways depending on the genre, whether it's poetry, biographies, articles. Historical fiction. Historical fiction. Mm-hmm. Um, books versus movies are a big deal. Mm-hmm. They just, I, I think what I want them to go away with is they have to be able to use them flexibly. And in order to do that, they have to be taught and then readers have to have time to actually try them out. And and they don't do them separately. These strategies are, are done together right. in multiple ways and for different purposes. Well, so it's they, a pretty complex yeah, it is. task and they to have comprehend. To, they have to also be able to not do it very well. You know, because when you're first learning these comprehension, like inference is a big one that's yes. difficult um, because you have to be somebody who can, um, you know, look for clues and cues and and have the subtlety of being able to get into a text. And ki- kids need a lot of practice to do yes. that. They have to not do it right sometimes so that they can say, what did I miss? How did I not? You know, they, they yeah. need they need. It's not like there's a unit on inference and you teach it and then you're done. Like right, you it's just said. Yeah, it's like all, the big five all work together. Even though we look at them separately to understand what kids need, they all work together. And if they don't, if they can't do that in text they're reading, then we add the other layer of a content mm-hmm. such as science, mm-hmm. and we're lost mm-hmm. because it it all ties together. Because then I'm. I'm using the vocabulary or mm-hmm. my phonic. Maybe I'm not at the place where I know what bio means, mm-hmm. right? <laughs> um, because I'm not, I'm not there in, in in the continuum. So I don't. I'm lost. I'm lost, and I don't understand what I'm reading. And it's a bunch of words that I really can't predict. I don't have the background. I don't even know what background information I'm bringing, and and how it applies. So I I think comprehension. What I, what I remember at Comprehension as a reader being in school was reading a passage and answering questions. That's all I ever did, And it's too. so much higher level. It's higher level thinking, processing. It's so much more than just asking some recall questions mm-hmm. from a passage. I and have to give you a funny example, okay? Um, when I was a young kid, I loved all of the Lost in the Fairy books. Like, I read them over and over and over and over and over all of them. There was one book in that series that I didn't like, and it was Farmer Boy. And that was the one that was about her, the man she married, um, Almanzo Wilder. But it was about him growing up on a farm with his family. And it wasn't because it was a boy. 
as the main character, it was because there was so much description of things he built with his dad and like tools he used. And, and so, <laughs> I know. Yeah, okay. so now as a, as a person who teaches literacy, I realize now that I was not able to visualize any of the parts of that book because I had never yeah, built anything. I had never seen my dad build anything. I had never... I didn't have toys that I built with. I could not picture what was happening in that book, and I was always confused and frustrated. So, I don't know. To me, that was just like the, such a good example of how, you, if someone had taught me right. what I needed to do in that book and how to do it, I'm sure I would have loved it. I should read it again now. Well, <laughs> see if I can like it. Well, and back and back then, you would have had to go to write an encyclopedia to go uh -huh. look that up. Now, all they have to do is talk in their phone what is blah 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 yeah. and it and a, a visual and a description comes up. There's probably someone in a costume <laughs> building a barn <laughs> just like the Wilder family built back in the you know eighteen hundreds. You can just watch them do it. Yeah. Yeah. But anyway, that that I did not have the skill for visualizing that. So I realized that ruined that book for me, sadly. So I'm just I'm just gonna say and, and two more things about about comprehension because I could go on and on and on. But the structure of how the text is laid out too definitely affects how a student is going to navigate through it mm -hmm. and their understanding. And they need to know that purpose, the purpose of why the text was written is important. That affects their comprehension. The author wrote it for a reason. They want you to come away with something. Mm -hmm. What is it? So it's, I just feel like comprehension is multi-layered within itself. Yes, it really um, is. And the strategies help us to navigate through a, um, a complex process. So the next one is writing. It's not um, technically part of the reading panel's big five. We added it ourselves. However, <laughs> I don't think we could talk about reading without talking about writing. Because to me, I just we know that writing is a, a, is a way to communicate and share information. But it uses letters of the alphabet. It uses symbols, faces, punctuation, which you have to read, understand, comprehend. So all of these big five pieces affect writing to me. It's like the cumulative, all the big five leads to reading. But when you're writing, you're reading. Right. You're, you're composing a message, but you're reading as you go along the way. So right. your spelling is, is affected. How you want to convey your message goes back to fluency, right? Because somebody's going to read it the way you have intended it to be read, hopefully. So I think a lot of the decisions that writers have to make are definitely based upon their their understanding of the big five. Yeah. I could do eight podcasts on writing, oh, but writing, too, I, I think we're getting better at mainstreaming it. I think Common Core did a really good job of putting it front and center with the standards and the different types. But for a long time, I feel like writing was used for assessment purposes and punitively. Mm -hmm. And my principal, my current principal has such a good, he has such a good sense of humor with me. I'm going to tell the story. We, we were in a faculty meeting or something and we, we t tend to brainstorm ideas about things. I don't know what we were talking about. I, I think it was field day. What are we going to do if some of the kids need a break or whatever? And they're maybe not doing what they should do. And somebody, well, they can just come in and write. I'm like, don't use reading or writing as a punishment. Well, they can just read a book or they can just write yeah. something. I'm like, no. <laughs> because, like, you you don't you don't want them to see it as 
something that they have, have to, do. to do, not want to do. And the other thing, or too, can do. Right. About writing is back to that idea of the symphony and conducting all these different parts in reading. You're really doing that in writing. Absolutely. In writing, you have to because it's an expressive skill. And it, okay, you were, you said writing as um, an assessment can be used in a punitive way. And I think I know what you mean. Do you mean, um, like, um, here's a question and now you have to write the answer to it. And that's when writing is being used? No, I'm sorry. I just mean those two separate. Like, it's okay. it's typically, I think, I think now we're getting into writing as, like, writer's workshop or we're using okay. mentor text. We write for different purposes where okay. I think... Sometimes, and for a couple of years, it was we only wrote to prepare for an assessment, or we wrote as a, or writing was used as a punishment. Okay. As a, I didn't mean like together. All right. I, I meant you. separately. Well, uh, I think it's trying to change. I mean, yeah. In our in our district, we had let writing kind of fall by the wayside. A, a there was bit. no discussion of writing for a long, long time. Um, and, sadly. And now that's that's starting to be remedied, which is makes my heart sing because mm-hmm. I been a component of writing for a while, making yeah. books. And mm-hmm. and I feel like as part of early literacy, it, it's a great gateway to that, mm-hmm. getting them excited and applying their phonics knowledge and reading, practicing something they actually can read because they've written it. So yeah. that was my thinking. Um, I just wanted to make sure that I made a distinction, so I'm glad you clarified that. But I think writing kids writing in an authentic way is the absolute best assessment data that you can get about pretty much anything you need to know about their reading. It's their tool for learning. It is. And to throw this in there too, and I think I figured this out when I was a younger teacher, but we have a lot of focus now on building relationships. Um, Back when I really loved teaching writing to my fourth and fifth graders because the first piece we usually did was a personal piece, a personal narrative or a memoir, something to do with their life. And I always felt like I got to know them so well. You have to know the learner. And writing, if you give them some room to write about what they care about, you can really get that relationship in an authentic way. And if you write with them too, you open yourself up as well. I agree with you. Writing is it should always be discussed with reading. They're not they're not completely different things. So it took us a long time to even discuss that. So that makes it seem a little more understandable why everybody doesn't have all the background and all of those components. And we didn't really even add um, language oral language to that. That's a whole other piece. That could be a whole other. Mm-hmm. I think we have quite a few podcasts. We need this ideas to share well hopefully you've enjoyed it and maybe you've learned something you didn't know or it sparked something that was buried deep down mm-hmm. if you will visit our website the resources are there it's www.mertonmorganconsulting.com and we'll see you next time we'll see you next time thanks for listening mm-hmm.